The text we're going to be in tonight is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Give you a moment to turn there. The title of tonight's message is Christ Supplies All of Our Needs, Philippians 4, 10 through 20. And uh, I'd just like to open with a, with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, um, as always, I pray that you would uh, remove me uh, tonight and that you would speak through me. Um, Lord, that our hearts would be changed, molded. God, that we would draw closer to you tonight through your word. And Lord, we would be hearers and also doers of the word. And uh, that you would just bless tonight as, as, uh, as we receive your word and instruction. And that you would just give us uh, strength and endurance and help us to follow uh, your ways and the good works that you've set before us. In Christ's name, amen. And just a little bit of intro before we get started. This particular letter, Paul is, uh, many think Paul is writing from prison. And so, uh, not a happy place, but this is a happy letter. Uh, Paul has a great relationship uh, with the church at Philippi. And you see that uh, back up a little bit in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Paul has a great relationship with this church, and some of Paul's letters uh, are indictments, and they're, they're a little harsh sometimes, but this one is a letter of love, is a letter of unity, and you see that also, uh, you're probably familiar with chapter 2 in Philippians, verses 3 through 8, Paul says in verse 3 of chapter 2, to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important or literally more valuable than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Paul is, Paul is this is a happy letter. He's exhorting them, but he's also calling for unity uh, in the church and telling them to have that, that mindset. And that leads us into chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, let, please read along with me. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit or the fruit, which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the first point I want to share with you tonight from this set of scripture 
is a verse you're probably all very familiar with, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'll unpack that in a few minutes uh, a little bit more. But I first want to show you here where I see that Paul is rejoicing in the Lord because the Philippian church had at last revived or literally had renewed their concern for him. And at first, you might read this and think Paul's a little upset because he's saying, you know, now at last you finally revived or renewed your concern for me and sent me a gift. But Paul's not upset. And perhaps a little bit of time has passed since their last gift, which is referenced. But Paul's not upset. Might have been a little bit discouraged. I mean, he is in prison um, and he hasn't heard from them in a while. It's a church that he has a great relationship with, people that he loves very dearly. And it may have been several years since their last gift, but Paul's taking this time to actually uplift them. And he assures them that he knew that they cared for him, but they really didn't have the opportunity to express their care for him. They were mindful of him all along. And how do we know this? Because Epaphroditus made a journey to give him a gift uh, in his affliction and almost died. If you back up a little bit, you see that Epaphroditus almost died. And Paul calls the Philippian church to uh, hold such men in high esteem, to uplift them, to think very highly of them. Um, and I want to ask you a question. Just think for a moment of people that you know care for you. It might be a husband, might be a wife, might be someone that's a family member or friend, someone that cares for you, and you know that, but I'd like to see a show of hands if you like that they show it with their actions. Anybody like affirmation? You like to see action? You know, talk is cheap. You like to see that that person cares about you? Oh, of course, um, and maybe an, another show of hands, you know, if you've ever received a, uh, a picture from a child that they colored and they gave it to you, anybody ever received one of those they, or they drew you a picture or colored a picture, um, was it a Picasso or a Rembrandt? Was it something you're going to hang in the, in the living room to match your furniture? Oh, this goes great. You know, you're going to blow it up and put it, not necessarily, but you, the main thing that you get from that is just love and affirmation. You see what's working in that child's heart. It doesn't have to be this grand painting or this grand picture, but you see the love that's working in their heart. It's not something that you have to have. Rather, you're excited that they're giving you a gift and showing their love and their affirmation to you. Um, and I want you to keep that in mind because this is a tricky situation. Paul's having to toe a line here of not seeming ungrateful, but also not showing the church at Philippi that they fulfill him. Your gift has fulfilled me. It's encouraged me to the point where it has satisfied me. That's what I needed. I was just so sad and distraught. And when I received your gift, that is what did the trick. Because he can't give them that impression. The gift absolutely blesses and encourages them. And the Lord is using them to do that. But ultimately, he can't give them the impression that that's what he needed. He's pointing them to Christ. Ultimately, I'm fulfilled in Christ and you're going to see why Paul is joyful. It's not necessarily the gift, and he's going to exhort them, but not for the reason that we might think for the gift itself. You don't, sometimes what we say doesn't always express what we mean, so Paul has to be very careful. Um, it's not like, you know, he can text them or email them. You know, he has to get it right. He's writing this letter and sending it to them, and he wants to get it right, and he doesn't want to give them the impression of, of I'm ungrateful. Hey, I'm, I'm fulfilled in Christ. I don't need your gifts. Why did you even send that to me? That was, that was silly. I don't need that. He doesn't want to give them that impression. He wants to exhort them, and he'll tell them in a little bit that they actually did exactly what was right. So he wants to thank the church genuinely, but without sounding like also he's seeking more of the same. Sometimes we thank people because, you know, we, we want more of the same. You ever been to someone's house and had a wonderfully cooked meal and just enjoyed yourself? 
and thank them, and you're like, man, hopefully they'll invite me over here again. Um, you know, we've done that before. Sometimes we thank people with ulterior motives, and Paul wants to make sure that he's expressing himself um, exactly the way that he intends to, that he doesn't have to have that gift to complete something in himself, that he gets that from Christ. And so Paul goes on to say, he gives us several examples in verse 12, if you want to follow along with me for a moment. Paul says, I can be content in Christ regardless of the circumstances. So the first two comparisons that he makes on the opposite ends of the spectrum, he knows how to get along in humble conditions. And what that means is barely making it, bare minimum, paycheck to paycheck. Maybe some of you have been in that position where you're barely making it. You've got the bare minimum, paycheck to paycheck. I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to pay the bills. That's what he means, very humble conditions. And then now he says, I know how to live in prosperity. I know how to have a lot. I know how to be able to pay for my bills and have a nice car, have a nice home. Obviously, you know, cars didn't exist back then, but you know what I mean. He, he has plenty. He, he, it's, he's not worried about having enough. And I want you to think for a moment, and I'm certainly always challenged, and I'm always preaching to myself as well. Does your happiness depend on your situation? Think about that for a moment. Does your happiness depend on your circumstances and your situation? And secondly, are we ever envious of other people? If I had what they had, I'd be happier. I'd be more fulfilled. Um, maybe the car they drive, the house they have, the money they make, the health. You know, Do you ever get jealous or envious and think that will complete me if I only had what they have, if I only had the circumstances they had? Paul says he knows how to be content when he's filled and that's that sense of being content, full. Maybe, uh, you know, we've all experienced when we eat a meal and we eat a little bit too much and we're just, we're just full. You're like, man, I ate way too much. But he also says, I know how to be content when I'm hungry, when I experience those hunger pains. And we like to say, and, and I do it too, oh, I'm starving. Oh, I'm feeling weak. I need something to eat. I'm starving. I, I don't know, and probably most of you don't know what, it, what it's like to actually starve what it's like to really starve and have nothing to eat and to know that we're going to bed with nothing to eat like a lot of people do. Paul actually experienced that. He experienced, and he, he tells us in, in some of his letters that he experienced exposure, and we know that he experienced stoning, and we know that he experienced real starvation. And so Paul is writing about that literally. He knows what that feels like. And he also goes on to make the comparison when he has abundance, more than enough, or suffering need which literally means to have a lack of, to fall short of. It's not paycheck to paycheck. It's, I don't have enough. I'm not gonna be able to make the bills. I just simply don't have it. Falling short of, I don't have anything. And what do you think the secret is that Paul learned to be content? So I've learned this secret. I know how to get along with all of these things. And it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this verse is often misused. As some of you know, it's, it's often misused um, you know, when I was a youth pastor previously and I had kind of preached through this text before, you know, I told them to think about how they typically use it. You know, a lot of people, you know, if they're a football player, basketball player, I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens me, maybe post an Instagram photo and that they're talking about scoring baskets and scoring touchdowns. And that's not what the text means. Um, and a lot of adults, you know, you and I have probably used it over the years, maybe misused it to, you know, I can get through this circumstance. I can make it through this difficult thing through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying through all situations, I can be content in Christ regardless of prosperity, regardless of not having enough. I can be content in Christ in all circumstances through him who strengthens me. I'm gonna lean on Christ regardless of the circumstance to have that joy and to be fulfilled in Christ. My relationship with Christ is enough. And are we gonna say that together tonight? 
Can we say that together tonight, um, that our relationship with Christ is enough? That's certainly something I hope the Lord impresses on us and we leave with tonight, if anything, is that a relationship with Christ is enough. And I really like a statement um, by Piper that says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God doesn't need anything from us. Certainly God desires our service. And we're gonna see why Paul is so overjoyed with the gift that they've sent. But God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him, when he is enough for you. And it doesn't take circumstances or something someone else has to be fulfilled. And I believe that joy in God isn't optional. We, it's not an option. I mean, grace that doesn't change a life really is no grace at all. Really, I mean, if you think about it, Jesus saved me. That's something to be overjoyed about and celebrate fresh and anew every day. I mean, if, if you believe in Christ as Savior, you're going to be doing that for eternity. And God is worthy of that. And, and we, should, we should do that. But in our sinfulness, we get caught up with all the other things that are, is going on in the world. And I want you to think about that and hopefully take that home as well, that joy in God is not optional. God wants us to have our minds constantly on the salvation we've received and in the inheritance we will have in eternity. We strive for it. We reach after it. Paul talks about in Corinthians running the race because God has made a promise. Yes, we have salvation, but right now I do not have my inheritance. It's sealed just like when God called the people of Israel from Egypt and he said, the promised land is yours. Go and take it. They still had to get up and go take it, right? The promise was already sealed and already given to them. I'm saved in Christ. I have an inheritance with him. But God is calling me to bear fruit and to chase after the salvation, to run the race, to do the good works that God has laid out before me. He's calling me to reach for that strive and to keep my eyes fixed on that. I don't earn it, but God is calling me to run after it. Run after that promise that I've given you, that salvation that I've sealed for you. And have your mind on that and be content in me. But Paul commends them. All that aside, Paul commends them for their gift anyways. Why does he do that? He says, nevertheless, you've done well or write correctly to share with me in my affliction. See, Paul doesn't require the gift, but he's blessed by it. And look at what he says. He says that you have done well, or literally you have done right to share with me in my affliction in verse 14. So he's telling them, you did exactly what you were supposed to do. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The gift does not fulfill me. I'm content in Christ, I'm blessed by it. But don't be mistaken, you did exactly what you were supposed to in coming to me and giving me that gift. You are right. I'm affirming you. That was the correct thing to do. And so he's making sure that they're not misunderstanding what he's saying. He's being very clear about that. They're right in doing it. He doesn't require it, but he's blessed by it. Which leads me to my next, uh, next point. More than he loved the gift, Paul was overjoyed by their heart. They were growing in Christ. More than the gift, he was overjoyed by what was taking place in them. And that certainly challenges uh, me as a minister and I hope that challenges you if you're discipling someone right now and you're discouraged. Be encouraged when you see growth and when you see change. That's what we're looking for. Be encouraged by that. Paul, he said, man, that gift's great, but I'm excited that God is changing you and working in your heart. I'm seeing growth because only God can do that. That's what he's getting excited about. And Paul takes him back to the beginning of his ministry in Macedonia. He had suffered physically in Philippi, right? We read that earlier. Uh, he, he had talked about his ministry a little bit. He actually had to leave because of a riot in Thessalonica, Acts 17, five through nine. Um, the scripture will be up there, but, but just to sum that up, the Jews, as they had done many times, 
were becoming jealous, creating a mob, driving people out of town. We actually read about that this morning in Life Group um, in the book of Acts that they got jealous and they drove people out of town. And this is a little bit later from what we read. But you see a mob here being gathered and stirring up the crowd and chasing them out of town. So Paul uh, had it rough. But I'd like to read with you from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5 and give you a little bit of context about what Paul is talking about. What gift is he referring to? 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. That's the fruit Paul's talking about. God is working in them out of their deep poverty. Oh, you might think, oh yeah, they're a little poor, they didn't have money. No, Paul's saying they had nothing, deep poverty. These are people that had no money whatsoever and they are begging to be a part of the gospel. They are begging, just please take this money so that I can be a part of what you're doing. I, I see value in the message of Christ and I want that to go forth. They have deep, deep poverty, but yet they're still giving to him. And he said they were the only church that gave him anything. The only church that gave to Paul's ministry. And he says that very clearly in the text. You are the only church that participated in giving and receiving. The poorest church in the whole area that would give to him was this one. So do you think that they were special to Paul? That, that Paul saw that out of their deep poverty they were willing to give. And I certainly think, you know, this, this, isn't a, this is, certainly isn't a message about giving, but I, I certainly think that's an indictment as well. You know, Paul's saying the poorest church was the only one that supported me. They saw the importance of the gospel and they wanted it to go forth. And that's what I mentioned earlier. That's what the good news of Christ is supposed to do. It's, grace is supposed to change us. We're supposed to, to want to be involved in the ministry, not only through our actual giving of our time and our abilities, but of our money. God is calling us to give to the cause so that we can support our church and our missionaries that are going out with the gospel. And Paul's saying, I don't seek after the gift, but he wants the fruit. He wants the fruit that shows their love for Christ. Please do not be mistaken. God's purpose in you as a saved individual, if you have accepted Christ as Savior, and this goes for me as well, is to bear fruit. That's God's purpose in you, to, you, to be saved and to bear fruit for him. And I'll go into that in a little bit here. This is a result of your saved life in Christ, is that you bear fruit. Let's look at Matthew 13, 23 uh, for just a moment. It says, on the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Now I know that's a small snippet of the parable of the seed and the sower, but if you've read that text, and if you haven't, I encourage you to, but if you've read that text, the seed is the gospel message. Jesus tells a parable about four different seeds and then he explains it. That's right at the end of that particular parable. The, the God's purpose is realized when the seed falls on the good soil, the gospel is accepted, it grows and it bears fruit. Different levels. I mean, we're not all at the same spiritual maturity, but it bears fruit. We are called to bear fruit. And I also, I also see that as well uh, in John 15, one through three. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it 
so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Do you see the common thread? God wants us to bear fruit. God cares about us enough that he's pruning us and sanctifying us and making us more like Christ so we can bear more fruit. Like God cares that we're bearing fruit and that doesn't earn you salvation. So please don't misunderstand. That certainly, you know, like James, some people misunderstand the book of James. James isn't saying that, you know, you do works and you earn your salvation. He's saying, I'm gonna show you my faith by my works. It changed me. I follow Christ. I go after the gospel. You know what it says in Matthew 28 about making disciples? That's real. That means something. I'm gonna go and do that. Jesus is Lord. I'm gonna obey him. I want to obey him. His life, uh, my life is his. He is Lord. God is calling us to bear fruit. That's the result of a saved life. And Paul says he's already received everything in full, but their gift gave him an abundance. So it's this uh, picture of overflow. I've already got everything I need, but man, your gift just sent it into overdrive. Everything is in overflow now. He's amply supplied and filled, having received the gift from Epaphroditus. But now he is, he is uh, overflowing. And if you are serving the Lord faithfully, know that God absolutely is pleased with that. I'm not saying that he's, that he's not. God is, is pleased with that. Our sacrifices and our work for God are pleasing sacrifices, but our heart is what matters most. God desires your heart before he desires any works. God wants our heart first. The works come after that. God wants our heart before we can faithfully serve. And I see that in a couple of verses I'd like to share with you in Luke 10, 27. It says, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Psalm 51, 16 through 19. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in righteous sacrifices in burnt offering and whole burnt offering, and then young bulls will be offered on your altar. You know, before God wants any works or anything from us, I'm not saying stop doing that, but our heart needs to be right with the Lord before we can participate. You know, we've got some great ministries coming up and vacation Bible school and youth, youth are going to camp this week and there's lots of areas to serve in this church, serving as a teacher in life groups, but God wants our heart first. And he talks about that in 2 Timothy about clean and unclean vessels and about being right with the Lord before we can be a clean vessel, good for, for the Lord to use, good for his works. God desires our heart first. And Paul's overjoyed to see that the Philippians are hearing and doing what he's saying and he's seeing growth and fruit in their heart. Which leads me to, the, to our last point tonight. God desires to serve us and he gets the glory. God desires to serve us and he gets the glory in verses 19 and 20. Do you know that God exalts himself by serving you and not you serving him? God exalts himself by serving you and not by you doing anything for him. God doesn't need anything from us. We need the Lord, right? God doesn't need anything from us. God exalts himself by serving and saving us. Everything that we need comes from the Lord. In Acts 17, 24 through 25, it says, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Didn't Jesus say that he came to serve and not be served? Jesus said he came to serve and not be served. 
in Mark 10, 43 through 45. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Even when we don't understand the word of God, we look to, look to Christ. We might not always understand prayer and how God works. God, you're sovereign. I'm trying to pray to you. How, how does that go together? Your sovereignty and my prayer, how does that go together? God commands it. Jesus prayed. We don't always understand the commands of God, but Jesus himself prayed. Jesus always points to himself. He says, the servant is no greater than the master. If they hated, if they hated me, they'll hate you. Right, but Jesus said he overcame the world. Jesus always, always remember that Jesus is the ultimate example. If we ever think we're too good for something or we, we think a little bit too highly of ourselves, Jesus said, even I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is pointing to himself as the ultimate example. And everything we have is a gift from God. We don't receive anything apart from his grace. First Corinthians 4, 7, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Everything we have is is a gift from the Lord. Serving God is for your benefit and my benefit. Serving the Lord is for our benefit so that the the fruit is happening, God's blessing is coming down on us. That's for our benefit to serve him. It's It's not a job or a task, but Paul is excited because he sees the Philippian church seizing that joy and putting on that easy yoke rather than taking that on themselves. Jesus said his burden is light and they're uh, growing and, and producing fruit and taking a hold of the promises of Christ and that's why Paul's excited. That's why Paul's happy because he sees the growth that's happening in them and he's saying that God has supplied all our needs and God will continue to serve and be there for you and he says that in Philippians uh, 4.19. God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And then what does he end it with? He says, now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 20, that's how he caps off this section. All of that stuff, now to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He gives God the glory and the praise. He ends this section by giving God praise. And, and I'd like to challenge you tonight. Um, if you leave with anything, please leave with this. Like Paul, let's give God the praise he's due, not only because he's worthy, but because Christ supplies all our needs. God is worthy of our praise, but, but then on top of that, he supplied all of our needs in Christ. And that's why Paul caps all of this off with giving praise to God. He's saying, regardless of all this stuff, just remember that. Let's give God praise and know that Christ has supplied, or God has supplied all of our needs in the gospel, that anyone that comes to Christ can be saved.